Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show I talk to English actor Sam Riley about his new movie She Is Love and of course all about playing Ian Curtis in Control. We review Brendan Fraser's return in Darren Aronofsky's new movie The Whale. Plus three-time Olympian Derval O'Rourke chats about her favourite movie. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Fardy. Or you can email me, screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm on Newstalk Radio. Good bank holiday weekend to you all. The first one of the year. And I do hope you're doing well. And January's a wrap. We got through it and here we are in spring or Celtic spring or is it spring? I don't know. There's different different debates about that. My children are always arguing with me about the seasons. My children are generally arguing with me, but that's not for here or now. I do hope you're well. I got a few. I've been telling you that a lot of people agreeing with me that Avatar was terrible. Avatar 2, The Way of Water or something it's called. And uh, but but the the bite back is or the kickback is kicking. Well, I got I got two emails saying that people had gone to see it and they actually enjoyed it, particularly with their children. So I didn't go see it with my kids. I saw it in a movie screening with lots of angry film critics like myself. So uh, <laughs> I don't know. But but I I'm I appreciate you getting in touch. But I'm still very much not on the fence about Avatar. I really didn't enjoy it. But anyway, let's not talk of. Strangers now. In TV this week, I was watching this. Oh, hey, Paul. I'm worried about you, kid. I mean, grieving her. You've been numbing. Stop. You're doing sad face. This is just face. I have resting dead wife face. (laughs) He just kept on going on and on about how dumb I am. But he loves me. Your husband is emotionally abusive. He's not working on it. He doesn't intend to. Just leave him. Okay. I think I can help people if I get my hands a little bit dirtier. Your mom wanted you to scatter her ashes, right? We know what they should do. Don't you ever want to just shake them? Well, we don't shake them. I take that back. Run, huh? Sounds so unethical. You're just going to burn down your career and take me with you. Coin yes, flip? now that is a yeah. shit. Last week... On Apple TV, so you do need Apple TV, and it's called Shrinking, and it stars the great, and I don't think anyone argues about that, Harrison Ford, who you heard there, and the also great Jason Segel. And this is the first time Harrison Ford, no, the second time, I think, it's fair to say, he's doing TV, and in Shrinking, what you have is Jason Segel, who's playing a cognitive therapist. He also happens to be grieving. Uh, because his wife has passed away and he's a pretty awkward and that's the best word for it relationship with his young teenage daughter and after a particularly bad night on the booze and other things he goes into work to therapize people or counsel people and he kind of just gives it to them straight and he starts to think this might be the way forward and he takes an unorthodox approach to telling to, to helping people and just comes out and says what they should do as opposed to, you know, helping them through the journey and all that type of thing. And Harrison Ford plays his boss in this cognitive therapy centre. And he ends up doing unusual things like going to a football match with one of his patients while he watches his daughter play and, and telling, as you heard there, someone to leave their husband straight away and all this sort of stuff. It's two episodes in. It's dropping every week on Apple TV. I watched the first two. Very pleasant is what I'd say so far. Jason Siegel is a very warm actor. I mean, a lot of people know him from TV, Freaks and Geeks, but also forgetting Sarah Marshall. He has this kind of friendly face and he does... He does happiness and sadness very well. It's a very honest face. And I think he's kind of perfectly cast in this. And Harrison Ford, you know, who by all admissions is a grumpy man. I think he'd even say that himself. He's pretty good as the aging, grumpy kind of senior partner in this therapy clinic. It's very good. I've enjoyed it pretty much so far. The two episodes, they're coming in about 30, 35 minutes the story's moving at a pretty fast pace, so I, I think it's a cautious thumbs up for shrinking, 
which is now on Apple TV. Do let me know if you might have been watching it. John underscore Fardy is my Twitter handle, or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com. Now you're listening to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. The big cinema release of the week is The Whale, the return of Brendan Foster for Brendan Fraser, not Brendan Foster, Brendan Fraser, for which he's been nominated for an Oscar for Best Actor. It is from the mind of Darren Aronofsky, the famous director who gave us things like Requiem for a Dream and, of course, Black Swan. I'm delighted to be joined now by Chris Wasser, who has indeed seen it. Hi, Chris. Hey, John. How are you doing? Good. Now, much is being made of this movie because of uh, Brendan Fraser's huge size, albeit thanks to a fat suit. So uh, people have heard about this, but just tell people what exactly is going on in this. Yeah, you're right. Actually, the conversation around the whale has been going on so long, but not a lot of it has had to do has had anything to do with the plus, but more about you know this being the big, the big Brendan Fraser comeback vehicle, or this being a new film from Darren Aronofsky. But it's actually based on a play which has been around for years by Samuel D. Hunter, and Hunter actually adapts his text here, and it tells the story of a chap named Charlie, portrayed by Brendan Fraser, who, let's be honest, he's he's in a bad way. Um, he weighs an almost impossible forty-two stone, uh, morbidly obese. You know, he is essentially imprisoned in his own body and as a result hasn't left the house in years hasn't left his apartment in years and that's where the story is set you know entirely you know we begin and end in this apartment which i don't think is too much of a, a spoiler to say yeah. um and he can barely remove himself from his couch without the help of his best friend his only friend and also his carer liz uh, played by hong chow and they both know uh, given you know the events of the last few weeks, where his heart is kind of you know where a series of heart attacks uh, heart attacks have taken place, that congestive heart failure has begun, and that you know he will there's no might about it, he will die soon. And he starts talking about, you know, kind of getting his affairs in order. I mean, his carer says, you know, you need to go to a hospital. You need to see a doctor. But he doesn't want to. A, because he doesn't want people to see him the way that he is. And B, because he says he has no health insurance. So instead, he is kind of accepted his fate. And before he dies, wants to, you know, fix some wrongs in his life. Because you might be asking yourself, what happened to him? Well, his partner died and he turned to food for comfort. But that comfort then turned to abuse. And nobody was around in his grief to notice that, you know, things were getting out of hand, that he was putting on too much waste and by the times you know you know someone could have done something about it it was it was almost too late and he also tried to see his daughter he had a wife he had a daughter and he tried to keep in touch with his daughter over the years but he actually left his wife uh, betrayed later in the film by samantha morton he left her for a man he left her for one of his students he teaches english which we'll come back to um and she never got over that and as a result of her anger and her frustration there she never let him see his daughter so before he dies he wants to reconnect with his daughter played by sadie sink who viewers will know from stranger things yes and her arrival in Charity's life also coincides with the arrival of a Christian missionary. So you can probably guess how that's going. We have a Christian missionary basically just knocking on doors and he knocks on Charity's door one day. So we have the missionary, we have the teenage daughter, the carer, Charity, away we go. And we should say then he's teaching his students via Zoom or Teams or whatever, and he's a blacked out screen so they won't see him. So this is very much his life now in the shadows, literally. Yeah, that's right. He's an English professor and he's a bit of an academic and, and he, you know, he, he used to teach in real life, as it were. But over the last while, because he hasn't been leaving the house and because he doesn't want people to see him the way that he is, you know, he is ashamed of himself. And he seems to be the only one who who, who who's ashamed of what, what of what he's become. He's turned off his webcam. So his, we actually begin... And I mean, this might be actually one of the few clever touches in the film, given the events of the last few years. We begin on a Zoom screen where students, you know, we're panning out and students are kind of, you know, trying to message one another, not knowing that, you know, the teacher, Charity, can see them. And they're saying, why doesn't he turn on his webcam? And the excuse that he gives them is that his webcam is broken. But then we see Charity in the apartment and we realize he just doesn't want anyone to see him. You know, they call it. A fat suit. I'm not sure if that's that's what it says in lots of reviews. I'm not sure if that's allowed to say that anymore in the world we live in. But for listeners, he uh, Fraser didn't put on you know Ala Robert De Niro and Raging Bull sixty pounds or anything. This is very much prosthetic. Yeah, I'd heard maybe that he had put on a little bit of weight for the role. I'm not entirely sure if it was for this role or for something else. Um, but you know, it wasn't. There's going to be an awful lot of talk about the fact that they are using a prosthetic suit in this, and mm. why could they maybe have found a larger actor to portray this character i think that's quite a difficult conversation and yes you know, an understandable one you know if we were talking about someone that doesn't weigh 600 pounds that doesn't weigh 42 stone but that is a 
dangerous, dangerous waste. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we are talking about a character who is essentially on death's door in this film, and you are not going to find you know, working actors of that waste. Yeah. And it would just be too dangerous a position a good to, put, yeah. to put anyone in. So a prosthetic suit was needed. Um, you know, and we could spend all day talking about the prosthetic suit and Aronofsky certainly, you know, kind of hones in on it and he wants to show us, you know, just uh, how essentially awful a state this 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 character is in but i think most of the the magic of the performance and it's important to to to, to separate the two is is in, is what brendan fraser is doing underneath the suit and what brendan fraser is doing with his eyes in this role because there's been an awful lot of talk about how this is a big comeback for fraser and how you know it's a it's a it's another great dramatic role for him but think some people have been maybe losing the run of themselves and thinking that you know brendan fraser has has a long line of you know winning dramatic roles behind him he doesn't you know his cinematic output has been patchy at best i think he is so beloved and you know he's he is genuinely one of the few hollywood nice guys that some people are kind of maybe losing the run of themselves you know he's been very good in the films that he's made george of the jungle airheads the mummy and he has you know his quote unquote iconic moments in cinemas all wrapped up but no big you know awards worthy dramatic roles i think this is probably the first time that i've seen fraser as good as he is it's just a shame that everything around them isn't that good yeah, so let, let's get to that. So I, I was a bit taken aback by this film because it, it's very melodramatic uh, and I have issues around the, yeah. what we're actually watching, but we'll get to that. So people want to hear what you thought. I'm sensing you this didn't work for you on lots of levels. I think a big problem is the, the single setting. Did you find that? Yeah, it felt like a play. Yeah, uh, to the yeah. point that the lights nearly go on and off at times. Oh, they they literally do. Um, and I don't have that problem with every film. Uh, you know, I remember awarding uh a very generous five stars to Denzel Washington's Fences, despite yeah. the fact that you know most of that film takes place in the one house and it's yeah. very jody, whatever. But a little bit that of effort. Black Bottom had a touch of that, and I love that. But yeah. exactly, yeah. But a little bit of effort, a, a lot of effort actually uh, went into you know the characterization and 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 yeah. and, and, and making you know those films look and sound cinematic um there's a big problem here that aronofsky and the performers they seem to think that they're performing in and directing a play and i think aronofsky it might have been ten- in, in, intentional but he is he's directing this like some a very creaky unimaginative sort of dull broadway melodrama and you're right the lights do you know go down and they they come up to let us know when a scene is ending when a scene is beginning you have uh you know the supporting players despite the fact that they're they're standing within four feet of one another they're shouting at one another all the time yeah <laughs> you know you also have that they're here like on a stage oh, yeah. I, it's just that a knock at the door and then yeah. a character walks in i mean this is not for chance not, who calls <laughs> at the door it's not a farce we're watching you know yeah. it's supposed to be and 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 i say that because it, there, there is effort at time made to kind of let us know that this is a real world setting. But when you have performers acting as though they're on a stage, we're not in the real world anymore. And you mm-hmm. also have this weird thing and, and the Christian missionary, Ty Simpkins, Thomas character and Hong Chow and Samantha Morton, they do this an awful lot. They're essentially kind of walking towards the camera walking towards the audience uh, let's say if they're on a stage during these big moments where they have to tackle some big emotional outburst. We're not on a stage and, and and that just get, it gets very annoying after a while, John. Yeah, no, it does. Absolutely. Now, I, I don't know what you felt, but there was a fine line for me at times of, am I watching, you know, a great work by Darren Aronofsky who gave us, you know, things like Requiem for a Dream? Or is this very close to one of those god-awful shows like My 400-Pound Life? I, I don't know how you felt about it, but, but at times it felt like it was just as... It had the same vibe like that to me, that it was almost this, you know, cameras on this guy who's, you know, far too overweight. And it's it, it's not making a mockery of him, but it, it had a feeling of, of one of those shows of an exploitation thing. Yeah, it's not making a mockery of the character, but I think the big problem is that it doesn't really know what to say about the character. It hasn't, uh, there, at no point during the film does anybody say anything of interest or anything intelligent about Charlie's situation. It's yeah. almost as though it's saying, you know, the whale aspect, and the whale refers to, you know, uh, uh, you know, it's, there's kind of a double meaning there. There's an awful lot in there about, you know, how one of uh, Charlie, as, a, as an English academic, one of his favorite essays was an essay based on uh, uh, Moby Dick. 
Yeah. Um, so there's an awful lot of double, triple, quadruple meanings going on in, 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 in that title. But it doesn't have anything interesting to say about his situation. It's just, here's Charlie. He is a man who lost himself to grief. He is a man who knows what weighs what he weighs and he's going to die. That's the end of the waste conversation. Yeah. Um, and, all, and, and because maybe, I suspect that, I don't know, at some point along the way, Darren Aronofsky, who is no stranger when it comes to, you know, shocking audiences or provoking yeah. them, I, I suspect that he knew that, there's nothing really interesting to say here. So I'm going to double down on these grim, uh, you know, repetitive images of Charlie gorging himself. And yeah. so, so he keeps repeating, you know, look how fat this person is. Look at what he's done to himself. And after a while you think, yeah, I get it. But I, I think we need the characters to, to, to give us more in terms of their dialogue, in terms of who they are, in terms of, you know, what they have to say about themselves and other people. Um, and the only things they really have to say about each other, they're, they're kind of mean. Everyone, I had, a, I had an awful time, tr- you know, rooting for the characters in this film. I mm-hmm. found the, the the daughter, although Sadie Sink, you know, performs her well at times, uh, just a bad egg. You know, yeah. she's, she's, she's so mean to everybody around her. And and Liz, who, you know, is supposed to be excellent at her job, just shouting at her friend mm-hmm. all the time. And on, and then also, Charlie does, it's a reveal, I won't give anything away, but it's revealed that Charlie has done some things that, you know, are kind of like, oh, Charlie, that's not cool. <laughs> you yeah. know? Um, well, it's not pleasant spending time in, in this gang's company for the no. most part, you know? And I agree with you about those scenes. They, they seem to be needlessly repetitive uh, without much explanation of Fraser gorging himself on food. Like they pop up too much nearly, I think, you know, like we get the point after a while he eats too much, Uh, but, but they, they were, they were hammered home a lot. So, uh, but just to go back to Fraser again, I mean, his eyes, a lot of people have said this, but he is great in lots of ways in this, I felt. And I think you did too. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, the magic is in the eyes and his eyes yeah. are working overtime here and he mines, you know, occasionally slivers of gold out of what is otherwise, you know, a hammy kind of almost, almost vapid screenplay. Um, and, and he does so much good work here, you know, emotionally and physically, uh, with, with some, with some terrible material because I just, I want, I found Charlie to be a bit of an enigma because he is this English professor and he is teaching these college students online, but his vocabulary is, is shocking. <laughs> at my and everything is amazing. I lost, if you were to play a drinking game with the whale, and if you took a shot of whiskey every time Charlie says, you know, the te- uses the term amazing, you'd be drunk within half an hour. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, I, it, it's it's actually shocking how underdeveloped his character is. But as I said, mm. he makes the most of it. He is the only really good thing about this film. And I do think, you know, he deserves the praise for it. I would yeah. like to see him in more dramatic roles. We're, we're, we're actually going to see him next in Scorsese's uh, uh, new one alongside De Niro and DiCaprio, which I'm especially looking forward yeah. to. I want to see him challenge himself as an actor. He does that here. He deserves the Oscar. But I just wish that there was a better film happening around him. Steady now. Does he deserve the Oscar nomination or oh, the actual Oscar? I know. Sorry, I'm, yes. <laughs> I'm just, you know. He, I, I, I don't know. I prefer to see Colin Farrell, and it's not yeah. just the Irish to me uh, get the Oscar over him. I think it's worthy of the nomination. Yeah. I don't think it's the best performance in those five uh, among those five uh, yeah. men who've been nominated. But, but yeah, does it deserves the nomination? Yeah, no, no, I agree with you on that. And, you know, talking of uh, drinking games, I came up with one last year from the cinema. Every time Michael Flatley puts on a new hat and Blackbird, I think you'd be equally as pissed if you did it with uh, uh, Fraser saying uh, amazing. But anyway, so what are you going to say stars wise for The Whale? I think it's it, it, it's a it's a bitter disappointment given the conversation mm-hmm. that started around this film. You know, back in September, we we heard of a six minute standing ovation at Venice. Yeah, uh, we, we we've seen you know the acceptance speeches and the, and the interviews that Fraser's given, and I thought, wow, you know, Darren Aronofsky, who disappointed me so much with with uh, with Mother, that and, and that remains his his his, his worst film. Um, it, it sounds as though everyone's back on form here, and then to go along and see this, you know as I say, this vapid, hammy and, and just extraordinarily heavy handed soap opera. It's, it's, it's crushing in, in, in a way. So, uh, you know, solid, you know, great performance from, from, from Fraser at its center, but just that the film just did not work for me. So it's, it's, uh, it's two stars. Yeah, I, I, I go along with you. The, the film doesn't work. Fraser is exceptionally good. Well, really, really good in it and has great yes. eyes in it. So that is two from me and more importantly from art journalist and film critic Chris Wasser, who was talking to me about The Whale, which is on general release from this Friday, the 3rd of February. Chris, thanks a lot. Thanks, John. Do you ever get 
the feeling that people are incapable of not caring. That was a clip there from The Whale and uh, a strange movie in every sense of the phrase. Interesting in some ways, but but kind of a disappointment, uh, I have to say. Up next, the great English actor, Sam Riley. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time. I'm John Farley and this is News Talks TV and Movie Shows. Now releasing this weekend in cinemas and on digital platforms is a movie called She Is Love. And it stars Hayley Bennett, who you may know from things like Serrano and The Girl on the Train and Magnificent Seven. And the lovely English actor, the great English actor, Sam Riley, who's been in lots of things like Maleficent on Disney. But most notably, uh, he played Ian Curtis in maybe the best rock biopic ever called Control. And in this movie, himself and Hayley Bennett play this very strange couple. So when the action arrives, Patricia, that's Hayley Bennett's character, she's going to a country hotel in Cornwall and she encounters her ex-husband, Idris, played by Sam Riley, who is managing this hotel with his girlfriend, uh, Louise, played by Marissa Albee, and who's going to play Amy Winehouse in the upcoming Back to Black movie. And in this situation, things are very awkward, obviously, because he's meeting his ex-wife after 10 years. And they begin a conversation that lasts the weekend. And it involves them, I won't say what it involves them in terms of their relationship, but it involves them talking long and hard, late into the night, also drinking copious amounts of alcohol, at which Idris's girlfriend isn't too pleased. Now, a lot of it, was improvised. It's directed by a filmmaker called Jamie Adams. He gives a movie called Black Mountain Poets, which a lot of people saw and liked. And he goes in for a lot of improvisation and things like that. So this is an unusual movie taking place largely in one place in this country house hotel in Cornwall with a couple coming together and falling apart. Two different couples. So it's an intriguing movie. As I say, it stars Hayley Bennett and Sam Riley, the great Sam Riley, who I've spoken to before on this show. Last time was for Rebecca, the new version of the uh, Hitchcock movie and, of course, the Daphne du Maurier book all those years ago, Rebecca. He played the kind of bounder in that. And that was a few years ago. He's done many things since. But his crowning achievement before and since has been Control, where he played Dean Curtis. So I spoke to him about that. And, of course, his role in this movie, She Is Love. So, Sam, this is a very unusual movie. I'm wondering, did you kind of get the script, what was in the script, and go, this is unusual, me and a former wife in a big house in Cornwall? I I imagine you don't get this type of stuff often and you were quite intrigued when it came across your desk. I was, and it it wasn't even a script, John. It was what Jamie Adams, the director, calls a scriptment. Uh And... So it was sort of five or six pages, from what I remember, of just a rough outline of of a story, which sounded interesting. And, and it was also due to the circumstances that we were all living under. It was the first, just coming up to the first COVID Christmas, we were going to shoot it, then Jamie got, got the lurgy. And so it was postponed till April 2021, I think. And I hadn't been working partly because my my wife was working a lot in Germany where I live and I was desperate to do something that wouldn't take me away for an unknown period of time, you know, because that was kind of what was happening on productions as it kept shutting down. And this was an offer where I would spend 10 days in Cornwall in quarantine and then shoot a movie in six days. And I thought, well, you know, what have I got to lose? No one will ever see it. And <laughs> and I just really, you know, I knew Hayley Bennett from from Swallow, which was amazing. And and I'd watched Industry and knew Marisa was brilliant. So, and I'd watched one of Jamie's films and I thought, well, I got nothing to, I've got nothing to lose. I don't know what's going to happen, which only then gave me the fear about a week before going, I suddenly thought, what the hell have I said I'm going to do here? I'm going to have to mine myself, actually. I'm just, it's a weird version of me that, that you know, that, that filled me with horror. 
So you get this scriptment. So like a huge amount of this is improvised. Then it, it's literally you're yeah. given scene setting, and then you have to go and, as you say, mine yourself for what you want to say to this person standing and lying opposite you. Yes, with Jamie sort of throwing in stuff from off the camera, and then never knowing what Haley would actually say because Haley had her own sort of took it in a completely different direction, I think, than what Jamie was expecting. Right, and and in a brilliant way you know then sort of made what i think whatever he thought he was going to make he had to sort of um forget about to some extent and then we went off on a tangent and he would throw in stuff and the camera was rolling for you know we were doing takes that were two hours long or and and then going back and doing it again on the other person because there was only one camera. So it was, you know, you'd forget what you'd done. And, yeah. And, and you know, the cam- as you know, with films, normally when it's a script, you just do the same scene over and over again all day. The camera rolls for maybe two or three hours a day. It was rolling for six or seven hours a day on this. And wow. you really had to to give in, surrender to all control, forget about any, you know, any sort of vanity, get ready to be humiliated, embarrassed, and um, just go, go with the, go with the flow. Yeah. It it, it sounds a bit like, I don't know, primal therapy or screen therapy or or gestalt therapy or something like that. Yeah, I know. know Yeah. Because, I mean, someone came, when I, I came back, it was only, so I was only away 16 days, six of which were shooting. Mm-hmm. And I was totally knackered, like yeah. uh, in emotionally. And I know no one wants to hear an actor's work is exhausting. <laughs> and, and comparatively, yeah. I'm well aware that it isn't. But it was very, we, I felt very strange. I felt like I'd been away for months. And a friend of mine who worked at a drama school in Berlin said, oh, he was using Meisner on you, like, uh, which is a sort of one of these, I think, like an offshoot of, method yeah and she said yeah you, you know you 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 you're completely it strips you completely this sort of this method yeah so thanks jamie adams <laughs> yeah yeah well he's certainly a, a unique cinematic voice and and the way he makes things i read in the notes that he described it as a existential crisis comedy uh did he say that to you at any stage to get you in the game or no, he didn't. I think that describes what we ended up with pretty pretty yeah. well. I th- we weren't really sure. I think he thought it was going to be more of a dr- his first sort of drama. And then on the first day, we were all, you know, Marisa and I really had were having a, a lot of fun being silly and uh, whatever, or just having fun with each other. And then it seemed like, we, this isn't serious. I mean, the ex-wife is upstairs. It's like the start of a bawdy fa- farce. You know? <laughs> But then it sort of kept going in all sorts of different directions. But I think it is, you know, I don't know. We're probably a similar age, I guess, John, are we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, things suddenly start to change. A lot of, you know, friends and you start wondering where it's all, you know, it's suddenly all flown past, hasn't it? And (laughs) what have I I done? You know, and and for, for my character, Idris, you know, I think he's one of these guys who sort of always connects with younger women who are vivacious and full of life. And as soon as they want something, you know, remotely commitment based, he runs a mile and replaces them with the next one. You know, he's one of these guys that's always trying to recapture something of a lost youth is afraid of commitment. Doesn't realize what's in front of him is fantastic. And, Mm. you know, I don't know. I think that's yeah. quite common, probably. I, I saw it as kind of where my life might have gone had I not met my wife, you know, when I did. I hear you. Believe me, I absolutely hear you. Uh, and and when I say existential crisis comedy, I you know, I, I thought that was interesting what he said, but there's a lot more to it. I mean, there's some very, one in particular, incredibly poignant moment, and I don't want to give any spoilers, but about what may have bound or unbound these two people together. Yeah. So ju- just for listeners to say that there's a lot going on in it. And I suppose on the, on the lighter side of it, my Irish 
ears pricked up. You did a lovely version of Danny Boy at one point. Uh, was was that improvised or was that written down? No, he wanted me to do that. He, okay, he, it it was that was to do with his a uh, personal thing with his own family and a connection to this to to his father and mm. and he'd asked me to do it and I can't really play piano, so I was very much sort of obsessed with the fact that I couldn't play piano when I was when I was doing it. That wasn't improvised. The song, there's a song that Haley and I made up about never getting married again, which we yeah. made up off the hoof. And there's a song that he asked me to write, which then Marika Hackman is a wonderful singer-songwriter who plays the sort of the super fan that I think still yeah. in the film, right? Who turns she up, is, yeah. she is, yes, yes. Which was based on this character that turns up at the end of Imagine, the John Lennon documentary. Do you I, know the one who did? I, I was actually thinking that. I And John Lennon says to him, why would I have written this song about you? I've never met yeah, you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. uh, you got to carry that weight. He yeah. thinks it's all been written about him. Yeah. They bring him in for Beans on Toast and do that sort of, that was improvised. We had a longer moment that I don't think's in there. But Marika finished the an idea that I started, um, mm. and that's sort of in the theme at the end. Yeah, but I enjoy. You know, that was crazy because it was you know the whole we were pretending to be drunk for a long time yeah. there. That's quite yeah um, hard to do. I can imagine. I always used to cheat. Um, <laughs> and get pissed, but, but I don't, well, yeah, but it's quite difficult to control, and I don't do that anymore. So I, I yeah. it was, I was, it was the first time I ever um, tried that uh, without cheating, which was interesting. Wow, wow, it's good. I mean, I had a lot of practice, John. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you, we have a lot in common. I interviewed you for Rebecca, which I guess is probably three years ago now. When you, you when yeah. you played the when you played that bounder as he was oh, called. Oh yeah, right. I remember I, now. Sorry, and I, yes. I, no, no. Listen, I'm sure you had about twenty seven interviews that day, but I remember being hesitant going like because it was probably five minutes at the time because those things tend to be very quick. And I thought, can I ask this guy about control? I really want to because I, I think it's the best rock biopic and rock biopic is probably the wrong way of describing it but i absolutely loved it and you gave me this answer you were like no i that film changed my life i i i i i swear by that film it's almost a before and after in my life and i'm just wondering three years later do you do you still see it that way are you as happy and people like me still ask you about it yeah really i am honestly i am i don't <laughs> you know it's i mean one thing I mean, I probably said this the last time, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself. I remember when we were on the rooftop of this hotel in Cannes and I'd been given a tuxedo by some, you know, incredibly expensive designer and my wife and my girlfriend then, my now wife, was looking over, we were looking over the side of the hotel and they were queuing round the block to get in. And my wife, who'd been in the business for a lot longer than I had, said, you know, just... This never happens. Um, try and remember every everything that's going to happen this next year because this is, you know, this this doesn't happen to, to people. Some great actors go through a whole career never having that that sort of moment. Yeah, and it's been, you know, <laughs> you know, the, the the fifteen years since have only proved my wife right. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's the only time I've ever won a prize or anything. I mean, I'm being flippant, but it really, um, it, you know, it's, it did change. As you said, it did change my life completely. But, you know, every job that I've got since, weirdly, I'd met Jamie Adams, the director of this, when I was a musician, just before yeah. my band got dropped. He booked us in, in Cardiff in 2002 or something. Um. You know, and that was one we met each other in my previous life, and then again, yeah, in this and this other one that the film, the control gave me, and it's a, no, it's it's still really it's it's yeah it's it's a it's an it's a beautiful film, and it and it's my biggest luck. Well, it's nice to hear you've no angst about it. I'm sure there's more awards ahead. Listen, final thing, we got more than five minutes. <laughs> Thanks, we got John. we got more than five minutes this time, but I don't want to take take the Mickey either. But the last thing, funny, your character Idris, the unusually named Idris. Here's a name drop for you. But I inter interviewed Idris Elba last year, and there are certain actors you you, you know them 
by certain things. And I was saying to him about as soon as he popped up on screen, I was like, Jesus, you look just like yourself. And I was, I know that's a strange thing to say, but I was thinking about you. The thing that I always think about you is your voice. You have an incredibly yes. distinctive voice. And I could almost hear you before I could see you when I when I was watching this movie. Uh, has that been, uh, have you been aware of that throughout your acting career, that your voice, it, it's very distinctive and it's it's probably helped you a lot, I would say. Now, you know a lot more about it than I do, but has that been a big plus for you or is it something you think about as an actor? It, it's something that I wasn't, you know, I didn't, because I tried to change, I tried to hide it in control because it wasn't like Ian spoke. Yeah. Um, I, people have been, I've mentioned it more and more uh, recently. You know, I remember making the mistake though once of, um, after being on a, on, a, on, a, on a thing that I thought was really hoping might, you know, stupidly, that more people were going to watch, you know, and having been in independent films so long, I was like, oh my God, people are actually going to see this. And then I went on Twitter to see what people were saying, which I'd never done ever recommend anyone. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they were all slagging the voice off. They were wow. all of them to a man saying, you know, he needs, give him a lem sip. Why is he talking like Batman? <laughs> 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 and etc etc like just cough damn it um so i mean i i always rather thought that i think it's probably something that just as many people find weird i mean i know it i suppose my face is going to grow into it eventually um, <laughs> well that's a good way of putting it look for what it's worth i think it's very cool uh and like all the things i've seen well i put a lot of effort into it john it's 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 <laughs> It's, uh, you know, a lot of late nights. Yeah, yeah. A lot of exercise. Uh, it's a muscle yeah. you've trained, yeah. Well, listen, Absolutely. lovely to talk to you again, Sam, and the best of luck with the movie. Thanks, and I hope John. to talk to you on the next one. Thanks a million. Yeah, I appreciate it. Lots of love. Love Cheers. to you. Hi. Do you have a booking with us? Yes. First room on the right. Hello? Idris? Did anyone come? Excuse me? You? Hello. I can't believe it. My ex-wife is upstairs. Patricia, this is Louise. Hi. Seems like she's been a good influence. You're not drinking. We're having a great time. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to feel really bad when I get you to start drinking. <laughs> I'm aware of how uncomfortable the situation is. I love you. Right. Yeah. What are you doing? You're impossible. They need time to uh, catch up, I guess. The clip there from the very trippy She Is Love. And before that, you heard me talking to Sam Riley, the great English actor Sam Riley. What a great guy to talk to. I just find him a fascinating fellow. And he has a very unique voice. You know who it is as soon as you hear him. And uh, She Is Love is available in select cinemas and also on digital platforms from the 3rd of February. Up next, three-time Olympian Dervla O'Rourke on her favourite movie. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. It's that stage of the week where we talk to someone well-known about their favourite movie. And I'm delighted to be joined by three-time Olympian and lately foodie and entrepreneur, Dervil O'Rourke. Dervil, how are you? I am great altogether. Now, your favourite movie, I say it every week, you never know what people are going to choose and it's always very surprising. This was very surprising, so you tell our listeners what it is and why. Okay, so... I could not think of any other movie. This is the movie that kept coming into my head and it just makes me laugh, which I think may be a reflection on my dark sense of humor. <laughs> but the movie is very Irish, of an era, of a time, and it is intermission. So 20 years old this year. Wow, is it um, 20 years old? Yeah, 2003. And it was out in a time and a place in my life that it just made me laugh. A lot. But again, I feel like I shouldn't even admit that because I don't know, does that make me look a bit mad? Not at all. It's a fantastic okay. film. Remind people what it's about. Okay, so you have a cast of characters and the characters 
are sort of lovable rogues in many senses. So you have like really big Irish names in the film. You have Killian Murphy is probably the main character as John, who's broken up with his girlfriend because he was trying to test her love for him. So that in and of itself was slightly ridiculous. And then you have Colin Farrell in this role as just a like sort of a petty criminal, but quite <sighs> violent. So the film starts off with Colin Farrell in a really dramatic fashion. Yeah. And you have... Do you know what? There's so many different stories going on in it. And again, I don't know, is that just that era that those kind of films are coming out? But there's about 10 things happening at the same time and you're watching going, at what point is this all going to make sense? Mm. And then you have like Colin Meany playing Jerry, who's a guard. And you're going, okay, where does that come into it? He's a bit of an egomaniac. Then you have a guy who's a filmmaker in it. And then there's a couple of female characters. Deirdre O'Kane, I think is outstanding in it. Her character is brilliant. She's her husband has left her for a younger woman and she's really angry and dealing with that. Then you have a character, Sally. Um, Sally, I'm trying to think of Sally's name because I only, Shirley Henderson, is she? Yeah. She was Moaning Myrtle, wasn't she, in right. um, the Harry Potter films? So You've done your character. homework. Yeah, I'm so into this film. So her, I'm always trying to tell people to watch it. So her character has this had this really traumatic breakup. So there's that underlying storyline going on. So you just have all these things going on. It's set in Dublin and it feels like really Dublin. It's pre-Celtic Tiger as well, Dublin. So like I would have been living in Dublin at the time. It felt very much like, oh my God, this could be happening like around the corner. Um, and it's just a scream. All the characters and how they intertwine and the things that happen and some of some of the sentences and some of the phrases that come out, you, I just thought it was hilarious. And, you know, at its heart as well, though, it's probably a love story with Killian Murphy wanting his lady back who he's lost. Yeah, it's a love story and it's showing him in a way where he's just a little bit pathetic mm. and she's actually kind of going, well, like, what were you doing? And yeah, it, but it's also, I think it's kind of sort of a dark comedic love story. Yeah. So it's not like your traditional love story. It's not what you would expect yeah. from a love story. Certainly not, certainly not. And there's the brown sauce as well, which I know makes a lot of people laugh where Killian Murphy and Colin Farrell are enjoying cups of brown sauce as a drink, as a beverage. Yeah, so so Killian Murphy's character, John, and his friend Oscar, their jobs at the time, they're working, they're stacking shelves, like they're they're completely have kind of no satisfaction in their lives so it's like that sense of being in this like job where they're not happy they've got a boss that they can't stand and they do some 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 job like they go and steal basically a load of brown sauce they're adding the brown sauce to the cups of tea so also in context of this film this would have been around the time of my life when I was getting ready for the Athens Olympics 2004 I was young and on the Irish team at the time we used to say to each other this line about that brown sauce. So you'd be somewhere random in the world, right? You, you know that you always hold on to that real Irishness. Yeah. And you turn around, and I'm, got, I'm not going to swear because I don't think I can on this. Go ahead, like, knock yourself out. Go ahead. If it's really out? bad, we'll edit it. So give it a go. Okay, if I bleep now, that's fine. There's a scene that where you have, you have Colin Farrell, you have Killian Murphy, you have the guy who plays, I think it's not Oscar, it's the bus driver because mm-hmm. there's so many different characters, so many different things going on. And they're trying to convince Colin Farrell, like, who's this thug, like, about putting brown sauce in his tea. Like, it's so ridiculous. And event- they're talking about guns. They're talking about brown sauce at the same time. They're trying to see a gun, but he's also putting brown sauce in his tea. And he turns around and he just looks at Killian Murphy. And he just goes, that's fucking delicious. <laughs> and it's just, to this day, I still think it's the funniest thing. And, like, w- like I would be, like, think about this. You'd be at a meet somewhere you could be anywhere in the world and you'd have someone who's also running on the Irish team turn around to you in front of people in a restaurant and in front of all these other athletes who aren't Irish and just looking at you going, that's fucking delicious. <laughs> and you're, it just, it was on this unspoken thing of like, no matter how stressful the environment was trying to get ready for an Olympic Games, you're still Irish and it's all still a little bit funny and hilarious, you yeah. know, at the, end, at the end of the day. So I loved it. I loved as well, like Colin Farrell was obviously blowing up at that time mm-hmm. and he was like, this superstar. So that also kind of, I guess, with me and like some of my friends who I would have been traveling with, we knew like the Farler, like he's so famous. And then yeah. all of a sudden he's in this very, very Irish low budget film. And Killian Murphy was starting to kind of break out, yeah. I guess, at that point. Also, Killian is the older brother of a friend of mine. So oh. you know the way everyone's connected somehow. Particularly so, in Cork, right? We all know each other, all best yeah. friends in Cork. Yeah, so exactly. um Killian, I had seen in a play 
Um, so okay. I, yeah, so I was always like, oh, what's going to happen with Killian? You know, and he was at that stage, I think he had done 28 days later. So he's pretty, he was a bit of a star then, but yeah, I th- thought, yeah, I thought it was brilliant. Have you seen it? Oh, well, here's, here's a name drop for you. So when okay. I interviewed Colin Farrell the first time, uh, I told him that my favorite role of his was intermission because I just think he's brilliant of it. And what he said to me is, I said, you know, my memory of that movie is Colin Meany pissing on me. So uh, that's his takeaway from it. But I, but I agree with you. It, it is a great movie and it's not trying to be Irish in any kind of reflecting, you know, what it, Ireland is or any of that stuff. It's just a great story told in a brilliantly Irish way. But what I, I like about you explaining is it clearly is your favourite movie because in this slot, we when people are quoting lines like that and taking it into their life, that's the, the magic of a movie. It, it, it stays with you and you took it to Athens and the glory day. So it clearly is your favourite movie. Oh, it's and it's still... You know, it's still with me and a really good friend of mine, um, she lives in America and to this day, if like, if we're having a bad time with this thing going on or we're a bit stressed about something, she will say that to me. She'll leave me voice notes, you know, that line about the brown sauce and I'll be cracking up and like, no, I, I think for the time and the place and what it was, I just thought it, I just thought it was brilliant, and all like all these random Irish actors just popping up yeah. in it, in all these different places, and you're going, "This is so. This is just taking you to so many different places." Yeah, I feel like watching it again. Tell me this: I know you're a parent, but your kiddies are probably too small to show it to them at this stage, I presume. Oh. Yeah. Oh, it would definitely be bad parenting yeah. if yeah. I if I shared that with my children. If your four year old was going, "That's F and delish, mammy," that would probably be problematic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If he was starting to add brown sauce to his uh, Weedabix in the mornings, it would definitely be worrying <laughs> about my parenting skills. But I have to say, I made my husband watch it the other night. Like it's on YouTube. <laughs> it's free to air on YouTube. So oh. I don't know. Is that a reflection? of the fact that like there's a handful of us think it's unreal I don't know I think it's a bit of a thing you either love it or you don't did your husband like it it. he found it so confusing like he and also I was explaining to him like I said you know this is one of my favorite films like and I was was so animated and so into it and he was looking and because the start of it is so shocking you know yeah it's it comes in hard at the Mm -hmm. start with Colin Farrell's character that he was looking at me going, what in the name of God is this and it also looks really old now if you watch it like the buses look really old. The shopping center looks really old. All that kind of crack. So, um, yeah. It, but again, I have to say, even thinking about it, it's making me laugh. Yeah. Well, look, I'm sure he's a nice guy, but clearly you're going to have to leave him at some stage because uh, if he's not into intermission, you know, you, you can't continue with him. But anyway, that that's another day's work. Listen, I should have asked him that before we got married. Yeah, right? absolutely. That was a flaw in the process. It's, it's too late now. Well, listen, thank you for that. That is clearly your favorite movie and brilliantly described and it's traveled with you instead still travels with you. Listen, just finally, uh, everyone knows who you are and you're running past. And, you know, in this station, we've spoken to and still do lots of athletes who have negotiated life post-athletics. It seems to me from the outside looking in, I've never met you, but that's been a pretty successful transition for you. I know there was Ireland's fittest family, but you've reinvented yourself or moved on to being kind of a foodie and, dare I say it, a lifestyle guru of sorts or certainly you've kind of made a bit of a business out of you know helping people with some of the skills you picked up as an athlete yeah I mean I guess when when I was doing athletics track and field during my intermission years um (laughs) I was always very interested in stuff outside a track because I always knew it would end like I was never I never felt like this was going to go on forever so I knew it would end I did a degree did a postgrad did a master's in business and smurfit and I was always really interested in business. And at the same time, I found the whole world of trying to be healthy really interesting because I had to be healthy to run well. And that didn't come naturally to me. Actually, I had to work really hard. I had to work really hard to eat well and all that kind of crack. So I always found it interesting. And I guess when I retired, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I kept kind of doing things and trying different things and putting myself in positions of doing things that interested me and seeing could I make them work from a commercial standpoint and you know I wrote two cookbooks that I was lucky they're quite successful and I think as well I was I was kind of fortunate in that the industry started like the well-being industry is is massive now globally but it wasn't necessarily 
you know, during my career, but yet I was doing a lot of stuff that I found mm-hmm. interesting in what would end up becoming that industry. So, um, yeah, for the past kind of four years, I've heavily concentrated in the digital space. Um, you know, I launched Derval.e, which is an online subscription business yeah. for health and well-being. And instead, that's what I spend most of my time doing now. Yeah. And I do bits and pieces of other stuff as well. Like I was obviously doing Fittest Family for a while. I think I did about seven seasons on it. And I enjoyed it, but the reality is I have two small kids and I have a fairly busy business and I still, you know, I coach a little bit now as well. Mm-hmm. And like in a high performance context, like I have a high performance athlete and I do a bit of punditry. Like on, if the athletics is on, I go to, you know, I do, I'm in studio with RT, you know, I do it with Rob Heffern. We actually joke saying like, we'd actually just do it for free because it gives us a chance to watch the athletics. Like we we're hoping they don't figure out that we'd just be really happy to sit in the studio and given snacks. Well, and it's not like you it, just like, said like, it on like, national radio or yeah, anything. Well, so it's anyway, fine, ho- you know? hopefully, yeah. hopefully they don't listen, but so, you know, RT I, are always listening to this show. They're always listening. Um, so I do, I'm doing a lot of things that, I mean, primarily it's the business in that world of well-being and kind of digital well-being. And I'm very interested as well in the space of corporate well-being and start going to start doing a little bit more on that. But I do think I'm really fortunate in that I've always done stuff that I find quite interesting. Um, and I think it's easier for me to work in it then because I had a career that was massively based on a passion to base, you know, follow that dream and try and make something of myself in a world that was very competitive. And I think I did that. So to be able to come out the other side and still, you know, I'm 10 years retired now. So to wow. still be able to yeah, it was 10 years ago since I ran my last championship, I figured out the other day. So for me to still be able to be a little bit public facing and do things that interest me, and I think add value, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. I never want to do anything because we have a lot of customers that don't, doesn't add value. So yeah, no, I love it. Um, but maybe now movie critic is my new role. Yeah, know? well, it's a crowded space and there's a lot of talented <laughs> people in it. But you know, we'll it's see what we, we'll see what we can do. Well, listen, it's been great talking to you. You've, you've aged me a lot because you've told me you're 10 years retired. Intermission is a staggering 20 years old, but it has been great fun talking to you. Dervil O'Rourke, her favourite movie is Intermission and it certainly is. Thank you, Dervil. Thanks for having me. You have to find an abode you feel secure in. Then you have to furnish that abode, procure the necessaries, furniture, etc. Kitchen utensils, your work, your juices. What about love? Well, love's not something you can plan for, is it? I mean, look all you like as long as you like, but it's only when you let your guard down. When you least expect. That you find someone, yeah. Take myself, for example. You ever seen me before? No. I'm just some fella's ambled in, right? But who's to say by tomorrow you and me couldn't, and I'm not coming on to your name. But who's to say we couldn't be head over heels, huh? Dancing in the grand. Nobody. Why? Colin Farrell there, in intermission, the favourite movie choice of Derville O'Rourke. And my thanks to Derville, and she really loves that movie. And sure, why wouldn't she? And it's great when movies live so deeply with someone. Like, films are friends, you know, and they, they travel with us and, you know, make sense of our lives nearly. And we, we use them. We have recourse to them, you know, aside from being... I don't know, works of art and things to make money for lots of film companies. They are uh, they are friends, hopefully, you know, the good ones, that is. Anyway, I'm getting a bit deep. That is it for this week. My thanks to Anne-Marie Kane, who helped out on the show this week, as she does every week. I also want to thank a young TY student named Andrew Rossbotham, who was with me all week long and did a great job helping me out here on News Talk. And my thanks to him as well. Just remind you, this show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on Newstalk.com or the News Talk app powered by Go Loud. And it is on the radio every Saturday at 6pm here on News Talk. Enjoy the remainder of your long bank holiday weekend and have a safe week ahead and I'll talk to you next week.